0: never, um, I was worshiping. I was. I've never noticed how closely your feet hold together when you're doing that. Like, like they didn't move. Is that the, do we call that the power stance or what is that? No. If, Jesse, if I do that, I think you need to give me a shot in the band. Well, welcome everybody. There's a lot of Christmas trees in this place. Here it is. It is the Christmas season here at Doxa Church. If you guys don't know, Jesse Anselman, he's in the back there with the hat. On your way out, you need to thank that man. I don't know how he found it in the budget to buy all these different trees, but he did, and they're everywhere. So, guys, if you don't know, Salt Company is a part of Doxa Church. That's this building that you're in, and it's uh, Christmas time here. And so, if you're just kind of like hanging around over the next couple weeks here in Madison, would love to have you join us on on a, a Sunday morning as well. If you haven't met me, my name's Ronnie, one of the pastors here. And at Salt Company, we've got basically these, these two weeks left, right? These two weeks after Thanksgiving, uh, we looked at the gospel of John for the most of the semester up until this point. And now for these next two weeks, what we're actually going to do is we are going to look at um, two passages from the book of Psalms, okay? So Psalm 131 today, if you want to start turning there, Psalm 131. And in these two Psalms, we're going to basically look at two pictures of what it, what it means to be a Christian, Okay, two pictures of the Christian life, not two holistic pictures, but two kind of snapshots that say something really important about what it actually means for us to know God, to be followers of Jesus. And it's going to be tonight, this picture of this happy child, this content child, and then next week, a, a healthy tree. Okay, and we wanna give you these two pictures because I think it's gonna serve you really well for the rest of your life, but I think it's also just gonna be timely for just the world we're living in and also winter break that's coming up. And so today we're in Psalm 131, this picture of a Christian as a happy child. I actually have a picture of a couple of my kids up coming up here on the screen. So Jackson, he's the the bigger one on the left and then the, the little one with the red hat, that is Hayes. And I can tell you this, guys, the defining mark of a happy child is when they are quiet, okay? Quiet and content and calm. And one of my best ways to do that is Greenbush donuts. And when I say quiet, I don't mean silent. I'm not saying like it's, it's good when they just never talk. My son Jackson, he'll talk your ear off all day if you'll let him. But what I mean by, by quiet is I mean content, okay? Not whining and screaming, not wiggling around or running away, not complaining and being restless. And for me, becoming a parent, it's introduced like just a ton of noise into my life, but I know that for the most part, not a lot of you in here are are parents, okay? But you don't have to have kids to know that we live in a noisy world. Our lives are filled with noise. And so let me just take you through what might be a day in the life for some of you, okay? So you wake up in the morning, With that loud and horrible noise, right, that's coming from your alarm clock, it's time to wake up and face the world, it's just nah, 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 you roll over and you you grab your phone, you check it, and as you're checking it, the first thing that pops up is you got an email from your professor, and in all caps, it just says, last chance to turn in that paper before you fail, just looking at that. You don't wanna deal with that, so you actually scroll down, then you get a news update that comes up and it just says in all caps, COVID leads to growing anxiety issues. <laughs> You're laying there in your bed, and okay, you scroll down again, you see one of your friends from high school, he's just blowing up Facebook about the election. Do you guys do, do Facebook still? Does anyone do that? I was, we got one person. So Luke, he sees fa- his Facebook is blowing up about the election. Okay, so now Luke, he puts the phone down, He's like, okay, I don't the phone, I'm gonna turn on the TV and you turn it on and it's like this montage of people yelling and crying and screaming and multiple just different people, multiple different looks, you're watching The Bachelorette. <laughs> you turn the channel and it's a commercial for a new blender, it's Black Friday. And they're telling you, you need this new blender. You need to get it or else you're gonna get diabetes because you have horrible eating habits. So $39.99 and you won't get diabetes. And so your your blood pressure is just rising. You're feeling it and you haven't even gotten out of bed yet. Haven't even gotten out of bed yet. Okay, but sometimes we are able to block out the outside noise. We live in a beautiful, beautiful place like Madison, right? We put the earbuds in. Maybe we go out into the woods, into somewhere like maybe the arboretum. You get there, but then you know what happens. The outer noise is gone, but now the inner noise starts to come. It's final exam week. You start worrying about your finals. You know, you start thinking like, okay, if I just think about this grade over and over and over again, then maybe I'll just, I'll get it. You keep returning to that conversation from last week that really bugged you, that it just kind of like, like felt off inside of you, and you don't know why, but you think if you just keep replaying it in your mind over and over and over again, different scenarios in your head that maybe it'll get resolved. You don't want to think about all these things, but then when you try to and just block it all out, you can't like stand the silence of it. And all of a sudden, you find your hand accidentally, it slips into your pocket, and then you know what's in your pocket it's your phone, and you pull it out, and you get on Instagram, and you scroll down, and you see your friend who somehow has just decided to travel to Colorado, and they're on top of a mountain taking their final exams. So now you're jealous. So naturally, you throw your phone into the woods, right, at this point, right? You just, you just had enough. It's been a horrible day. It's been a loud, noisy day. You finally have some silence. But then, out of the silence, you know what happens. We're in the arboretum. A bunch of wild turkeys, right? They come running out of the woods. One of them, with its beak, it reaches down. It takes your phone, and it starts running away with it. So now you're running after these wild turkeys, screaming. And then this poor old lady that was just trying to walk around in the arboretum and have some silence looks over at you and you have just now ruined her silence. Okay, so that's a day, that's, that's your life, right? That's what happens like most days of your life. This world is noisy, okay? And, and, and the noise that is like out there, the noise that's in here, it's not just annoying, it can actually be crippling. You know, we can start to get, ruled by the outrage, the fear, the worry. We can't find the peace that our heart wants. We can't find it anywhere out there in the world. But then you read Psalm 131, okay? So read this with me, Psalm 131. It says, "O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Okay, Psalm 131 tonight, it offers us a better way. Okay, a better way to live. It says that we can experience peace and calm amidst the chaos of the modern world. It says we can actually learn how to calm down the noise that's deep inside of us. It uses this picture, right? It gives us this metaphor of a happy child saying we can be like that, content and peaceful, enjoying our situation, enjoying the moment. Okay, and it's not a picture of somebody doing yoga, Right? Like it's not the picture of the psalm isn't that you're just like meditating in these like slow poses, detached from the world with nothing to worry about. It's actually like you're you're a, a child who's walking through life content and growing in maturity with its parent, with its mother. So it's not like you're secluded, you're thrown into the midst of life. There's noise going on all around you, but you found a way to be content. Okay, there's a pastor named Charles Spurgeon, and he looked at this Psalm and he said, you know, it's one of the shortest to read, but it's the longest to learn. I was talking to, to Katie Ford earlier this week and I said, man, I'm, I've gotta learn this before <laughs> Thursday. Like I've gotta, I see what's in here, but I've gotta, I've gotta figure out if I know anything of this experience by Thursday. And I'll, I'll tell you, I think I like, I know about, about this much, but it's enough for us to talk about together tonight. Okay, so here's my outline for us learning it together. The problem, the process, the power. Okay, Psalm 131, let's start with the problem. So anytime you hear a noise, right? You hear some noise go off in your apartment, you gotta figure out where is it coming from? And so when we think about all this noise that's outside and inside of us, we have to ask the question of where is it coming from in the world and in our hearts? But if you look back at verse one, it says, oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. The literal language there is not proud. My eyes are not raised too high. I'm not like looking down on other people. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. So King David, who wrote this, he's saying the noise, it's actually coming from deep inside of him. It's coming from his soul, but more than that, like a particular attitude of his soul. There's a Christian counselor named uh, David Paulson, and he took this psalm, Psalm 131, and he rewrote it into what he called an anti-Psalm to show like the opposite of of this being true. Okay, so let me read that to you. This is the anti-Psalm. It says, self, my heart is proud. I'm absorbed in myself and my eyes are haughty. I look down on other people and I chase after things that are too great and too difficult for me. So of course I'm noisy and restless inside. It comes naturally. Like a hungry infant fussing on his mother's lap, like a hungry infant, I'm restless with my demands and worries. I scatter my hopes onto anything and everybody at all times. So here's the truth and and the problem, okay? Much of the noise that is going on out there and is going on in here comes from our pride. Our pride is the problem, Listen to how James chapter four puts it. He says, hey, what causes these quarrels and these fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, your pride are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. And so you you can apply that to like the wars that are going on on social media or in the news, but you can also apply it to the fights that are going on in your own relationships or just kind of internally inside of you. And whether the noise is coming in the form of complaining and whining or angry shouting, surprisingly, this is what's so surprising about this, surprisingly the problem is you. <laughs> the problem is you, not the other person. Not all the time, but a lot more of the time than we think. There's another author that I love named Eugene Peterson, and he was looking at this and he said, you know, at any given moment we're either acting like a whining baby or a rebellious runaway teenager. Both are discontent, right? Both are in this their present situation, they're they're restless, but one of them chooses to complain and whine, the other chooses to run away. And he says, we're always in just kind of one of those two places. It's a natural state of our soul. We gossip, we post about it, we complain. Or we just move on to a new friend group, a new job, a new university. And all of us doing this, okay, all of us together, all of us in the world, is what creates such a chaotic and dramatic, noisy world. At the root of our discontent is our pride, right? Our hearts are lifted up, our eyes are raised high, we occupy ourselves with things that are too great. And too marvelous for us. Okay, so what is pride? You could boil down pride to basically being selfish desire. Okay, at its core, pride it's a it's a deep selfishness. Desire isn't wrong, but pride it's a misguided desire for ourselves. It's when our soul is actually curved in on itself. We rely on ourselves, we look out for ourselves. We worship ourselves and we try to get other people involved in the worship of ourselves. And there's a lot of different ways that this can get expressed as James was talking about through these misguided desires. And so here's a couple. One, we we desire to belong, but we want it so bad that we would actually exclude others. Okay, our heart is haughty and lifted up above other people. Haven't you noticed like in, in middle school and high school and yeah, even in, in college, there's like To be in the in crowd means there has to be an out crowd. Okay, but we don't just desire to belong. We want to succeed. But more than that, don't we want to be more successful than the people around us? Our eyes are raised high. In class, you're basically pitted against each other to compete, right? To have your eyes look to the right and to the left, comparing yourself to each other. Maybe you're not in school right now or you don't really care about school, and you're actually more just competitive in your social life. You want to be better looking. You want to be better at your job, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Another way that pride can have a form is we desire control. Okay, we desire control, but we try to control things that are outside of our capacity, beyond our God-given limits. That's what he means when he says, I occupy myself with things that are too great and too marvelous for me. Do any of you guys just like think about the future a lot? You're just like thinking about like, I wonder what is going to come next. I personally, I like to make plans. I like to be intentional about my life. But what I have found is when those plans don't work out, I can feel frustrated. I can feel depressed and to the degree, like to the intensity of that, it's revealing how maybe I was holding on a little bit too tightly to those plans, thinking that I could actually control the outcomes, that I could actually control the future, which is something that, I can't control. Okay, so let's review. It is your own pride that is making you exhausted. It is your own pride that's making you irritable. It's your own pride that's making you act like a whining baby when you're 20 years old. That was kind of mean a little bit and direct. I'm just reading what I wrote here. I wasn't, I mean it, but I don't mean to be mean, I guess when I say it, but I'm saying this to myself. And I don't know how this makes you feel, just kind of like the the surprising place that the problem really lies. But for me, I feel a bit confused because this whole time, and I'm being honest, this whole time, I thought the problem was out there, not in here. I thought it was with them. I thought I was frustrated because of them, but actually it's me. But the question that we really need to ask tonight is how does God feel about our pride? Okay, how does God feel when he sees our self-reliance and our self-focus and our self worship. In James chapter 4, he continues his train of thought and he says this, you ask and you do not receive because you asked wrongly to spend it on your passions, that's, that's pride, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. God opposes the proud. God is grieved and he is angered by our pride. He's like a husband who realizes he's been cheated on. Like a friend who's being betrayed. And in Psalm 131, he's like a father or a mother who just wants to love their child and give them a great life. But the child thinks that they know better and they scream and they whine and they kick or they run away. Okay, this is, this is how God feels about all the noise out there in the world and about the noise in our souls that comes from our pride. But like a good father, he also feels compassion. He is also patient. He shows us grace, and he will do whatever it takes to bring us from like a crying, whining infant towards maturity and that's what Psalm 131 is it's a picture of maturity a content and happy child in Psalm 131 we see what is possible for all of us King David he wrote this he's he's praying to God and he says oh Lord my heart is not lifted up my eyes are not raised too high I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. but I have calmed and quieted my soul Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Did you catch what he does there at the end? David's like, I did it. I've calmed and quieted my soul and O Israel, you can do it too. What he's saying to us tonight, he's saying it's possible actually to have a calm and quiet and humble soul, to be like a weaned child content on its mother's lap. And more than that, that's what Christians are supposed to become. Okay, we're supposed to be like these happy babies, these happy children, okay? But just because it's possible doesn't mean it's easy. There is a painful process that we have to go through to get to this point, and it's a process, if you saw it in the text, this process called weaning. (laughs) Okay, and I don't know how often you guys talk about or think about weaning at this stage in your life. I told my wife that I would not mention or talk about breastfeeding in any sense tonight, so I will not do that tonight, but it's related to weaning. Um, I, uh, I was talking to Shane, who was leading, leading worship up here, and he, he called me like on Tuesday. I was like, hey, what are we talking about at Salt on Thursday? I'm going to play in some songs, and I was like, well, we're going to talk a lot about weaning, and he's like, weaning? And I was like, yeah, you know, like when, you're, when your kid is, is like crying because you had to take something from them that used to comfort them. and Also, he's like, oh, dude, I totally know. Right now, I'm literally driving Penelope around in my car, and she's crying her head off <laughs> because she is trying to learn how to go to sleep. So Shane really related to me on this one. So he knows. But maybe you don't know. Maybe you haven't thought a lot about weaning. Brief introduction to weaning for you. It's this process where you're, you're transitioning a baby, right, from, from being an infant to the next stage and the next stage and the next stage and the next stage, the next stage of their development. Okay, you got to initially wean them off their mother's milk, then you wean them off the pacifier, you wean them off being rocked asleep, you wean them off being held every time they cry. Okay, and I've got an, another picture of my son, Jackson, the night after we took him home. He's in this little green, so... The noises you made appropriate because you're being nice, but just look closely at his eyes. Look at his eyes. Look at the, the redness of his face. This this uh, the night we took him home, he was a little demon. And this was, I'm telling you guys, it was like it got a lot better after this. It it turns out well, I'm not, I'm not gonna get into the, the details of weaning, but man, it was a it was a rough night. It was one of those nights where your whole life changes, and he was my first kid. You have a baby, and you're like, is, will we never sleep again? Like, will, is there any way to, to, to control these things and tell them what's doing? He's just screaming his head off all night, and you're, you're just like looking out at the rest of your life and thinking like, I, how am I? But, but he needed to be weaned, okay? The, the beginning of his life, he needed, he needed to learn how to comfort himself, he needed to learn this. And weaning, it's really hard for kids because basically what's happening is you're having to let go of something that brought you a lot of comfort. At this point, it was like being in the womb was really comfortable, and now he's out in the world and he's trying to let go of that. But it wouldn't have been good for him anymore to be in the womb, right? He needed to move on. And so it's this painful process. And that night, it was a noisy process. Lots of screaming and whining and complaining and running away and arguing and fighting. And what Psalm 131 is saying to us tonight is that our souls are naturally like these whining babies. And maturation is being calmed down and quieted to a place where we are content with God. In the process of that happening, it's a type of, you can think of it as being weaned off of the world, Okay, Jesus, when he was teaching about what it means to be a Christian, one of the metaphors he used, he said, you have to be born again. You have to become this new person. You have to be born again. And the the apostle Paul, he picks that up and says, the Christian life is like this constant maturation from being an infant in Christ to maturity. And interestingly, in the Bible, maturity is defined as an ever-increasing independence from the world and an ever-increasing dependence on God even as we still live in the world. In Philippians chapter four, Paul, he describes how this process actually worked in his own life. This is a little autobiographical. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Being weaned off the world, it doesn't mean that we're passive, okay? Paul says it's like this learning experience that we need to engage in, okay? So how do we learn? Okay, a couple things for us about this. We see from Psalm 131 that it all starts with prayer and self-examination, okay? He says, oh, Lord, he's praying. He's praying to God. He says, my heart, he's examined and looked into his heart. My heart is not lifted up. We need to learn how to prayerfully pay attention to the noise that's going on inside of our heart and discern where all that stuff is coming from. So that when you feel that impulse inside of you, that impulse to whine or complain or despair or run away or whatever, you, you pray, you bring it to God, and then you realize that the painfulness of whatever that is, is actually the weaning process at work. And God is trying to grow you into maturity. I've got another picture of my, my youngest, Hayes, and he's got, that's Hayes on Halloween, he was Scooby-Doo, and he's, that giraffe in his mouth, it's, uh, he calls it his nana, okay? So that's Hayes's nana, and he loves that thing, And the pacifier served a great purpose to comfort him in time, but we can't let him do that thing forever, right? So we've got to wean him off of it. And what's been so cool is as he's just kind of, like, understanding things more and and walking around. He's actually, like, we'll we'll talk to him about it and tell him, like, Hayes, you got to put that thing back in your crib. And it it can stay there and you can have it at night. And he's starting to respond and nod his head and understand and put it there. He's starting to put it away himself. He's starting to cooperate interactively with us in the weaning process. And in the same way for us, we need to daily spend time in self-examination and in prayer about just all this stuff that's happening inside of our souls. Or else the result is we kick and we scream and we complain and we whine because we don't understand that what's happening is God is weaning us. Okay, really practically, I, I try to do some form of this most days when I'm like driving back to my house after the day at work, I've got like a 10-minute car ride, and I'm trying to just in like a small daily way, like look like look back at the day, what bugged me, what frustrated me, what brought me joy, where did that come from, what is going on with that, and, and prayerfully with God trying to discern that. You can, you can do that as you're walking, well, I guess you don't walk to class anymore, as you're clicking to your next, <laughs> in between clicks to your next class, you can take a moment of, of self-examination, okay, but... When I, when I do it, when I drive in my car, here, here's a couple things that you'll notice, okay, start happening in your heart. Here's a couple things you'll notice about the weaning, the weaning process. The first thing that I'll, I'll feel something and I'll notice is the wounding of my pride. Okay, the wounding of my pride. A lot of times there'll be like a conversation that I keep repeating in my head over and over again, the one that made me irritated or it made me sad because that person didn't give me credit or they disrespected me in some ways. And what I'm learning more times than not is that the noise of that is the sound of my wounded pride. My heart was lifted up and they didn't give me the respect and the worship that I thought I needed and I deserved. Okay, for you, maybe your heart's filled with jealousy and and criticism. Okay, somebody else, got the grade, somebody got the job, and you didn't, and because your eyes are raised too high, you can't stand their success. Maybe the noise coming out of you is that you're overwhelmed with worry all the time. From the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, you can't stop thinking of all the things that you have to do, and you want to to gain control, but you can't control it all. And you're getting exhausted by it and stressed and depressed, and you have occupied yourself with things that are too great and too marvelous for you. Do you think it's possible that your pride is exhausting you, trying to prove yourself to the world that you can take 20 credits and work three jobs? What if your exhaustion is coming from your pride, and what if it's the wounding of your pride that is making all that noise? Okay, the other thing that I notice is what author Paul Tripp, he calls the death of our hopeless hopes. The sound that we hear, it's, it's the death of our hopeless hopes. What he means by that is that our, our world, it's like full of all these different options for us to put our hope in things. But none of them can deliver. They're all actually hopeless from the start. Okay, so when, when someone or something fails us, what Tripp would say is he says, that was the death of a hopeless hope. And so for example, like a lot of us have been burned by a guy or a girl that we were dating, or maybe that'll happen later in your life. Okay, and as horrible and as complicated as that probably was and is, that person was a hopeless hope from the start. C.S. Lewis, another author I, I love, he puts it this way. Listen, listen to his argument, he says, The world is so built that to help us desert our own satisfactions, they desert us. War and trouble and then finally old age, they take from us one by one all those things that the natural self hoped for at its setting out. Do You catch that? So it's this this picture of... Of us moving out into the world, trying to grab on to things that we think are going to bring us security or love or meaning. And then one by one, they desert us. And it's painful. But what Psalm 131 is saying is that this is actually the pain of God weaning us off the world. Okay, when everything else has been ripped from our hands and exposed as a hopeless hope, when our pride has been wounded and we aren't even as close to being as great as we thought we were, we're left with like these empty hands reaching out for someone or something else to lead us, something else to hope in, and that's when verse 3 starts to make sense. Oh, Israel. Oh, Israel. Israel, have you learned this yet? Salt Company, have you learned this yet? Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This is the exact same thing that Paul, he was saying in Philippians four when he said, I've just learned this, okay? I've learned this from experience. In any and every circumstances, I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Okay, so do, do you see what this means? You see what this means for your life? Like when our pride is wounded and it lets out that painful scream, when our hopeless hopes are ripped right out of our hands at that very moment, that moment is where we can experience the presence of God in our lives in a powerful way like we couldn't before. Okay, if pride is the problem, then the whole point is that we're not strong enough to calm down our own souls, right? We can't conquer ourselves. We aren't powerful enough. But if we want the storm that's inside of our hearts to be stilled, we need the one who speaks to the wind and the waves. Be still to be present in our hearts. Okay, listen to this next sentence Carefully, the secret, the secret from Psalm 131, the secret to the inner calm that Psalm 131 talks about is letting the powerful presence of Jesus conquer our pride. Rather than your pride having a powerful presence in your heart, the powerful presence of Jesus. That's where peace comes from. That's what it means to have a quiet and calm soul. So sometimes my, my three-year-old Jackson, he puts up a pretty big fight of screaming and whining and thrashing because he wants to keep playing and he doesn't wanna to go to bed, okay? Pretty, pretty typical three-year-old. And sometimes I literally have to like rip toys out of his hands, okay? Sometimes I have to wrangle him together and I have to spank him so that he can feel the seriousness of his behavior. Sometimes I literally need to carry him to his room, kicking and screaming. Okay, but always throughout the whole thing, I'm communicating my love to him and I'm pleading with him to trust me, to just listen to me. And eventually we make it to his bed and I gently grab him by the shoulders and i bring him onto my lap And I just hold him there. We take some deep breaths together, because he's usually hyperventilating and all red. And we talk about why he doesn't need to scream and whine or run away to have a great life. He just needs to listen to God and listen to me. He just needs to let me love him and lead him. And the, the best thing that happens is when, as, I'm, as we're talking about this, I can just feel his body relaxing onto my lap. And sometimes I'll, I'll grab his face and I'll look him in the eye and I'll say, son, do you know how much I love you? And he'll say, this much. And I'll tell him, Jackson, you can trust me. I want you to be happy more than you even want to be happy. I want you to have a great life. I love you. And he looks up at me, calm and content on my lap. He says, I love you, Daddy. This is what we were created for. To be a content child on the lap of our Heavenly Father. This is the picture I wanted to to give you tonight. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a wean child with its mother like a wean child is my soul within me and so this is this is one way to think about prayer right it's like wrestling our souls down into the lap of god until we can just relax into his love trusting him to lead us only his presence is powerful enough to calm the storm, that painful storm that your pride is creating and give you peace. This is what it means to hope in the Lord. but sometimes when we talk about hope, we think of it as like this far off, distant thing, like I'm hoping for for heaven one day, but that's not what this is talking about. The power of this hope isn't just for our future. It says it's for every moment of our life. It says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth, and forevermore, from this time forth, from this moment forth, for every moment of your life, forevermore. When I put Jackson to bed at night, sometimes I'll ask him this question from this thing called the Heidelberg Catechism, okay? It says, what is our only hope in life and death? So Jackson, what's our only hope in life and death? And he answers that we are not our own. But we belong to God. We tend to think that we're our only hope. That it's all on us. That is called pride. And it turns out that our only real hope is that somehow, some way, it could, like, not all be on us. The full answer to the catechism, it says this. It says, I am not my own, but I belong, body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I think Psalm 131 would respond and say, I've been weaned off the world. I belong to him, and I am content. The catechism continues. It says, he has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from all the power of the devil. Our pride grieves God. It angers God to see what has become of us. But he forgives us. He sets us free from its power. Our hearts don't have to be lifted high. Our eyes don't have to be raised up high. The catechism says, he also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. We're starting to see why we don't need to occupy ourselves with things too great and too marvelous for us. And it just ends by saying, therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and he makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Oh, salt company, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, it is hard to be quiet sometimes because of the noise. Not just the, the noise that we hear out there, but the, the most painful noises I know in my life come from within me. God, pride feels so hard to uproot, so all-encompassing, so, you know, the more I walk with you, the more I learn that just about everything in me has been pride. Pride. But Father, I I praise you that you have caused me to be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, by seeing Jesus, by hearing him call my name out of darkness into marvelous light. I've been born again. God, and so many of us in this room have been too. And Father, we don't want to stay as like these whining infants. We don't want to stay in our rebellion where we run away from you. We want to be content. We want to be home with you. So God, I pray that even as we sing right now, we would, you would just do a work in our hearts to, to untangle and, and get rid of the remaining pride, the remaining sin, the remaining rebellion that's in us. And we would actually tangibly feel and experience what it's like to just be a, a child of God, satisfied in you, Help us to relax into your love as we stand and sing and worship you. Father, reach down. Put your arms around us. We want to receive your love. It's in Jesus' name that we ask of you.